0: Thousands of years, they have existed among us. You keep your eyes open. They're everywhere. Chances are you've seen them yourself and didn't know it. A secret nation. Our livelihood depends on our ability to blend in. With a lust for power. We should be ruling the humans. These people are our food. They've got
1: their claws into everything. Politics, finance, real estate. There's a war going on out there. He makes the weapons. I use them. One will lead them to conquer mankind. Tonight, the age of man comes to an end. We're going to be gods. You know, sometimes, Corey, sometimes I'm trying to ice skate and I actually go downhill.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I'm changing things up. You know, sometimes you got to try to do new things. Um, all right. We'll get to why I just said that line in a moment. But welcome, welcome, welcome to Wages of Cinema. And we're not just talking about one movie this time. We're back to multiple movies. And it's just me and...
0: Trash Panda Corey.
1: Trash Panda in all over the place. And boy, we have some trash to talk about tonight. <laughs> and some good movies. Um, we're actually technically still in the Marvel world. Um like we can't get out we're trapped in the marvel zone <laughs> that's a thing isn't it oh wait, that's the phantom zone um but uh yeah so we decided to watch uh or really for me kind of re the the blade movies um and what's interesting for me was that going into this i had seen the first two and i had never seen the third one how about you? Like, had you seen any of them?
0: I saw the first one on television back in the day. So I didn't see any in the theater. I had seen the first one. I thought it was fine. Okay.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, what's your general take on the first movie today? It's fine. Okay. <laughs> it's actually... Good night, everybody! Uh, <laughs> <only> <laughs> you,
0: um... The first Blade is my favorite one of the three, although I'm not super enthusiastic about any of these movies because <laughs> I think they have a problem... Well, multiple problems. <laughs> but I would say yeah. maybe the one unifying problem is that these this trilogy of movies has produced so few interesting characters. It's really kind of mind-boggling. Like, the character work in these movies... Is pretty poor across the board and even blade himself is not an interesting character and wesley snipes delivers a mediocre performance yeah i said it
1: <laughs> yeah. well here's what i'd say though like i i like the first two movies the third one will we'll get to that um but the thing is is that they're not i would not rank these among like upper echelon uh mar- you know like the kind of marvel movies we get today now i will say that they th- the first two work is just very fun action genre like popcorn movies and sometimes that's fine sometimes i don't need to have like great depth in my fa- in my movies um, I think maybe the first one tries for a little more depth than the second one, which is interesting given who the director is of the second movie. Although I think the second movie is much better directed than any of the other ones because it's, you know, an Academy Award winning filmmaker <laughs> and like, you know, brilliant styles. But anyway, um, the, culturally though, I think what's interesting to talk about with these movies you know, the first blade that came out at a time when Marvel hadn't had really barely anything released theatrically in the United States. It was basically Howard the Duck and <laughs> Howard the Duck. <laughs> and oh I mean, well no, they did a Captain America movie that didn't even get released in the US.
0: And what's funny too is we're old enough that we were around when these movies were released. Nobody, mar- like no one, ever talked about these as like Marvel movies. They just talked about it as a vampire movie or a Wesley Snipes movie. Or there was no, at least I wasn't exposed to like any marketing that really pitched this as a comic book. Absolutely
1: movie. not, and no, I th- and I not think, at all. No, and I think though, frankly, the studios. I think the studios knew that. I think they realized if we try to market this as a, quote, comic book movie, it will be, you know, game over. Because, again, this was the 1990s. This was a time when, just the year before, you had Shaq in <laughs> Steel. And, you know, that that bombed Also the year before, Batman Robin. So... On the other hand, though, vampires were in at that time.
0: Well, that's why, again, I didn't see the first movie in the theater when it came out, but I did watch it at home. Yeah. And the reason why I watched it was because it was a vampire movie. And I was, of course, madly in love with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I just really liked stories about vampires. I think
1: for me at the time, I mean, I, aside from it just being like, oh, this kind of looks like a cool, kind of coolish action movie, it had, in my very vague impression at the time, that was, again, in the 90s, you had things like Spawn. You had, like, things are cool. <laughs> you know, it's going to have lots of, uh, you know. Uh, mythology that makes not much sense, but you're going to ride with it because the characters look really slick and the weapons that they carry are, you know, really badass And, you know, there's a tragic backstory to our hero and, you know, why he kills and blah, 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 blah. Um, but again, like, I didn't know that... I, yeah, I didn't really... I probably noticed, oh, based on a Marvel character, like, that credit is in the movie, Um Blade was created by these Marvel creators, Marv Wolf and Gene Cullen. Um, But yeah, yeah, no, I think most of us really just associate it as vampire lore. In fact, it wasn't until the third movie after Spider-Man came out and then you had X-Men that, you know, you actually had the Marvel logo before the movie, too. Yeah. So I guess people are going to see it. They might be like, oh, wait, this is a Marvel movie? shit <laughs> I got two for the press of one um although I guess technically though if you were in the comics community more this movie was probably a big deal in that way because it's like oh like somebody adapted a comic book and you're taking it seriously but at the same time it's also not like for kids it's but most well kids of course will watch it, but it's it's aimed at more of an adult or the the adult audience in like 13 year olds going to see a movie, which is <laughs> like me. Um of course my story seeing it was uh at the time like I would sometimes to try go to see R-raid movies and this was just before I started going to R raid movies by myself because you know even though I was 14 they wouldn't you know check my ID that often I went and saw it with my grandmother. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> I guess I remember her enjoying it. I mean, I, I, I honestly don't remember. She probably just wanted a reason to get out of the apartment. And <laughs> <laughs> um, my poor dad having to like shuffle her, like you know, from Riverdale to New Jersey just to like accompany me to see a movie that he would have no interest in
0: so yeah I would say basically I think this movie is the first movie Yeah, I would give it a mildly positive review I would give it a gentle thumbs up
1: well let's talk about it a little bit because I would too but like basically in this movie for those who don't know Blade uh, the character um, played by Wesley Snipes and you know unlike other characters by the way he doesn't have a different name he's just blade (laughs) like he was born uh to a woman who had just been bitten by a vampire and so he blade has like the he's kind of a hybrid he basically can be out in the daylight he has like the kind of you know powers of a vampire as far as kind of strength but he you know but he can survive longer without blood. And they've also created him and his kind of caretaker Whistler have created this serum so that he can try to subsist and not, you know, go all crazy to have to feed on blood all the time. But anyway, in the main story, he's, you know, hunting vampires and, you know, his big, uh, you know, there's a whole network of vampires basically in this world that he's in uh, run by you know. Stephen Dorff is uh playing Deacon Frost. He's one of the chief vampire guys, and he's trying to make moves with a uh, uh create trying to bring back uh, trying to make the apocalypse basically happen by bringing all vampires from olden times into new. Uh, it's a complicated thing. I'm not gonna describe it all, but it involves you know old. You know, century. You know, millennia old uh, documents and you know other shit.
0: There's basically, yeah. You need to know it's a pretty much generic end of the world plot. There's a museum heist. There,
1: there, there's like a character. You know, there's a book of Erebus. (laughs) There's a museum heist,
0: and there is Steven Dorf understood the assignment. Yeah. As people say, he's very good in this movie. And when we were watching Blade Trinity, I said, it's kind of pathetic that like Steven Dorff is kind of the crowning jewel of this entire franchise.
1: And it's funny because he uh, supposedly didn't even want to do the first movie. Like he had to be kind of talked into it. (laughs)
0: Well, I don't know if you remember this, but a few years ago, Steven Dorff gave this interview where he was mouthing off about how horrible the MCU was and how <laughs> he knew
1: That's st- right. Oh, he, he, knew he did do Scarlett that Scarlett
0: Johansson apparently in subcapacity and how it was embarrassing that she was in the MCU. Um, which come on.
1: Well, he shouldn't have any right to talk shit. Like he he was in like a Leatherface movie that has, no one remembers. This man has
0: no career anymore. He would crawl over broken glass to be in an MCU movie. Who's he kidding? Yeah,
1: yeah, of course. Um, but at the same time, within Blade, though, like, he, you know, once he was hired, clearly he, you know, he wanted to do the work. And he makes, like, this character a, you know, he has a lot of, he just has, like, a good spunky personality. When he is, you know, acting all mean, he does this kind of voice. I'll tell you what we are, sister. We're the top of the fucking food chain. You know, he, he's kind of doing like a third tier Jack Nicholson performance. Yeah. But he's still having fun with it. And it's it's something the movie needs because, you know, Wesley Snipes' decision is, I'm going to do everything taciturn. I'm going to talk like this the whole time. Yeah, let's... That's my blade. And, like, it's not... Yeah, we need to talk about his blade.
0: Okay, so... What I'm about to say, this was obviously something that was built into the design of the character. Like, I don't think... This I don't think Wesley Snipes' performance... I don't think it's so much a failure of execution so much as it is a failure of concept. It's obvious to me, watching these movies, that the character of Blade is deliberately designed to be a completely one-note character. And I just don't know why you would build an entire franchise around a character that's not even two-dimensional.
1: No, yeah, exactly. And he... Uh, well, the th- I think he has a certain gravitas in the performance. I think you know he wa- he doesn't want to make it super jokey, which is fine. Maybe again, he's maybe his performance. He thought he wanted to. There's kind of a reaction, possibly to you know more jokey, one-linery, you know, action people back then. Although he does have a couple of memorable lines, which are nice, you yeah. know. Motherfucker, you out your damn mind! And of course, you know the ice skating line, yeah. which which he came up with. But yeah, like he's a good. He's good in the actual action parts. When it, what's the problem is he decided like okay, I'm gonna, I'm like a black exploitation character. I'm gonna be all like, you know, cool and you know, I'm gonna have a attitude but that does that can't carry he's you you can't you can't attitude to the performance He's
0: completely inexpressive he deliberately has absolutely zero facial expressions over the course <laughs> of three films he literally never has <laughs> that, a facial expression. N-
1: n- that that's not true he he does kind of have like a shit eating like smile or grin in at least a, a couple of parts of the second and third movie now, he, like occasionally he'll like wake up because, like, Del Toro will ask him for, like, a second take and be like, like, hey, buddy, uh, you know, try smile a little bit.
0: So, he does have some good line deliveries, it's true. And you're right, he has credibility f- um, from a physical standpoint. Like, you can tell he's actually a powerful person, like, physically. Like, he's not a weak actor play acting at physical strength. Like you can tell Wesley Snipes really could kick your ass in real life. And yeah. that like really comes through in the movie. And he like poses well. But yeah.
1: But again, yeah, posing does not make like a great performance. He's, I find he's entertaining in the movie, but it's not, it's not one of my favorite, like kind of, uh, anti-hero killer performances. He has.
0: In the first two movies, anyway, he has his moments. Like, in the first two movies, there are, like, scenes of his that I like, but I just... I, I'm just <laughs> never going to understand why they decided to build a franchise around a character with no range whatsoever.
1: Well, I don't even... I wonder if they did they were going to build a franchise or if they were just going to do this one movie. I, 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 almost wonder maybe they didn't know what the first movie was going to do. And then, you know, it became a, it became a hit. So then they had to do more of them and, you know, yeah. And it's, it's a series where, because your hero is so like one, one tone for most of the time like this, you know, you're, you know, you're playing it so cool, but you're not that interesting being cool. You're not like Clint Eastwood or something. Uh, like that. So that becomes a big problem. Then the other actors have to kind of ca- put, catch up the slack, like Stephen Dorff, or like in the second movie, Ron Perlman a little bit. And um,
0: some of them are up to the challenge, but some of them really aren't.
1: <laughs> well, when we get to the third movie, that's a whole different galaxy. Well, even
0: in the first movie, like... The main chick in the first movie. I forget her name. Yeah,
1: well... She's terrible. Ca- uh, the act, Well, it, the character's Karen Jensen. Nabush Wright is the actress. She was more in movies back in, like, the 90s. And, yeah, I don't know how... Maybe she did more TV. Maybe she, you know, things just kind of dried up. Yeah, she was very not great in the movie. Like, she, she's basically the character who is... I don't know if you'd call her the audience surrogate, but she's like the one who, you know, you have to have a character that the other characters can explain things to that Bladen Whistler can basically say, like, what's going on. And she's listening to that, but she's also, because she happens to be a, is she a hematologist? hematologist yes. Oh, I got that right. Thank you. Good. Yay. Um... <laughs> It just so happens, yeah, that, like, a hematologist is doing... Basically, early, early in the movie, Blade gets is in a big, you know, the rave action scene that kicks off the movie. Really, Which is awesome. It is a very good way to start your movie. The most 90s opening possible, where there's a rave, and then suddenly the sprinklers are gushing blood, It and then Blade shows up. It's very fun. Um, Dona Logue, by the way, is the kind of second in command vampire and he's having fun too but anyway so he's burnt to a crisp for reasons you could just watch the movie and he's on the aut- autopsy table uh, this doctor is trying to tr- you know look at do the autopsy but then he wakes up and bites her blade gets her back to the the shop in time to try to save her um and she's yeah she's throughout the movie is kind of like the companion of sorts almost you know way like neo to his morpheus but like less good
0: i guess i guess, I guess that's a decent comparison because neo is like supposed to be kind of a blank in the matrix she's she's not good um, no but not yeah, good
1: but you could have still had she doesn't have to be a blank she could have had a little bit more personality she's just there to deliver lines like this you know and like kind of have her head tilted down a little bit and do that thing where you look up to look a little more intimidating.
0: I think your attempt to mock her performance (laughs) is actually better than her performance. It's just not good. And in fairness to her, she was not given great material to work with. Like this was not a great, it's not like she was given great lines of dialogue that she botched, but she doesn't give a good performance. No,
1: there are some interesting characters. There are some interesting actors in the movie though. I mean, Chris Christopherson, he's fine. He, he's fine. Yeah. He does he shows up. He's an old pro. He he uh he has a good um spoilers. Spoil by the way, we should have said spoilers for these oh, yeah. movies. Spoilers for all the spoilers. movies. Spoilers. Okay, spoilers for these movies going forward, okay? Starting now when Chris Christopherson has his death scene. I kind of liked his acting in that. Yeah. I thought he kind of brought it in that. And I would agree. And even Wesley Snipes in his like very blank faced way was trying to bring it a tiny bit too but but so you have her uh, you have him excuse me Udo Kier is like the head of the vampire council I enjoyed his couple scenes quite a bit yeah. um
0: I think one of the reasons Tracy why Tracy Ward's
1: I, is in the movie I think when-
0: why this one is my favorite is because it's the first movie we're doing like elemental world building and some of the vampire bureaucracy is a bit reminiscent of like the John Wick universe hmm. and I
1: although you want more of that Oh though. definitely like I don't think there's because the thing is most of what we're we're not really seeing enough of the like the kind of inner workings of the vampire higher council. They're basically presented as, like, the conflict for Deacon Frost, the Stephen uh, Dwarf character. But once they're, like, put in line, like, it's, like, really him and his kind of team that are, that kind of take the show over.
0: Yeah, the moral of the story, your action horror movie will be better with more more bureaucracy.
1: Or Muir. (laughs) Muir. (laughs) Isn't that the hammer from Thor? Yeah, I think so. Like, I remember Catania was, uh... Trying to correct me on the name of that. <laughs> yeah, and if we
0: compare Blade to other MCU movies, I'm not going to pretend that every MCU character is one of Shakespearean complexity, but at least they're better than I have exactly zero facial expressions yeah. and zero. Yeah,
1: I mean, what I would say also about basically with the movie, it gives you en- the first movie gives you enough information. That you understand what's going on, what are the stakes, enough little bits about the background, um, to kind of keep things moving so that you can get to what you do want to see, which is the action, uh, and fights. And all of that, I think, is staged, you know, in a, in a very fun way. Like, yeah. it's very the me, the soundtrack, I uh, is, let me put it this way the, the, the band Prodigy were <laughs> approached to score the movie and they turned it down. <laughs> I guess they had to smack some bitches up. <laughs> <laughs> or they were starting fires <laughs> doing all that stuff. But you get the idea of what like the tone the producers wanted. And it has that very pumping techno rhythm um, oh, another thing, like, there are a couple of interesting little tidbits in the first movie, like, the scene with Pearl.
0: Oh, Pearl was so cool!
1: Yeah, that was a great scene. The second best Pearl I've seen in a horror movie this year. <laughs> um, and, I won't, and, I won't, and I won't say what, is, what it's all about with this, but it's just one scene, and it's amazing makeup.
0: Oh, will I'll drop a little breadcrumb for the people. If anyone has watched Buffy, Balthazar in season three is very similar to Pearl in Blade One. That's a good
1: point. And, oh, there's also some, like, very cheesy, like, it it has some CGI that can't help but be dated, but it's kind of enjoyable CGI. There's a point where, I won't say what, but you see these flying skeletons and how they come to be, I just laughed so hard. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I mean, revisiting it was fun. Like, would I watch this, like, often nowadays? Probably not. But, you know, coming to it after, it had been easily, like, a couple of decades. It's good stuff. I
0: think we've kind of evolved beyond this movie in the culture, but it has its (laughs) genre.
1: (laughs) No, yeah, I mean, well, again, I think, Again, all these movies that we should mention are scripted by the same guy, uh, David S. Goyer, um, and his name's going to come up a lot, especially when we get to the third movie because he directed that one. Um, as a screenwriter, I mean, he understands like you know, he understands structure, and I, but I think I actually read a, a little interview with him where he said like I- I'm really good at structure. I'm good at plotting, dialogue. Maybe not so much. Yeah. And I could see that in all three of these movies. Um, Dude has, you know, he he can have a fun moment or two, but then sometimes having characters talk is a bit of a challenge for him. Yes. To sound convincing. Um, All right. Moving on to the second movie now. So Blade Two from 2002, directed by Guillermo del Toro. There's a world beyond the one we know where the powers of darkness fear nothing but one man. Stop, Blade. We represent the ruling body of the vampire nation. They're offering you a truce. They want to meet with you. You sure about this? They'll take us in deeper than we've ever been. Those he has sworn to kill need his help to fight a new breed of terror.
0: They're no longer top of the food chain. Our forces are ready to fight, but we need a leader.
1: Let me get this right. You want me to hunt them. For you. Ooh, so exciting. Which-
0: yeah, now, again, I like this movie. I, I, again, I'm mildly positive about it, but I have to say... Given that Del Toro made it, I'm a little disappointed by it. No. I thought I was gonna love this movie because typically, I love Del Toro. Most of his movies that I've seen are great with one extremely notable exception. yeah, I
1: think we I think we did talk about that one on our uh, you can go back to our I think we talked about that on the podcast when we were discussing the best picture nominees. <laughs> yeah, from last so year. I
0: I actually hate Nightmare Alley, but generally speaking, I love Del Toro. So, I was expecting this to be much better than like a three out of five star it, joint for me. It,
1: yeah, well, this, I, you this, liked it more. I did like it more. I think this is a, it's a, as a, just a genre movie as action, sci-fi, horror. There's a lot of creativity in this in this movie. Um, I could tell that you know this is someone who you know isn't just showing up and kind of clocking it in and saying okay put a light there put a thing there okay go next to like Del Toro is kind of famous for like he makes he has a notebook or maybe a few notebooks for each movie and he's just constantly making all of these sketches and you know he basically creates like the entire world visually himself. When he's uh, designing things. In fact, I remember reading this, uh, and I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but apparently, he had been making designs for Pan's Labyrinth, and he was in a cab, and he left like he somehow left the cab without taking the notebooks with him, and he thought like, oh my god, oh no, this is all over. Oh no, I like this movie. I can't make this movie now. And the cab driver found him, or he somehow connected with him and gave him back the notebooks. And Del Toro realized, I have to make this movie. So yeah,
0: I do agree that this movie, aesthetically, is quite pleasing. But I didn't like the like villains. I thought the quality of the villains was actually a step down from the first one. And also... I just had to look up her name because I forgot the, um, character of Nisa. Oh,
1: Awful. oh, 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 okay. Yeah, no, th- there is an actress in this movie who is, yeah, basically like in a direct-to-video, uh, DTV type performance. Yeah, Leonore Varela. Yeah, she's not that great. Um, but I can, I could be, I can kind of let that mostly slide because, again, I... If I'm watching one of these kind of movies, it helps if I have a, you know, again, if I have some real vision and, you know, a sense of just like, oh, you're going to surprise me in just things that like most other directors would take for granted or not care about. Like there's a scene in this movie where there's like a there's kind of like a vampire autopsy or it's not even an autopsy for vampire We should explain in this movie, basically, Blade, um, you know, he and, well, Whistler's back. Somehow Whistler has returned. We don't have to mention that part. But, like, he's basically brought in by the vampires. Ooh, he's brought in by the villain side because there are these new mutated vampires called, like, Reavers. Reapers, I think. Reapers. Right? I thought they were Reavers. Is it Reapers or Reavers? I think Reavers is Firefly Oh, they Fall. are Reapers. Sorry. I don't know why Reavers sounded yeah, cool.
0: I think that's the Firefly TV show. They're <laughs> called Reavers, I think. I think that's where you
1: from. Uh hey, 2002. It's a crazy year. Um, but there's but there's this scene where Yeah, the the corpse is on this autopsy table and how this practic this completely practical bot you know creation not a bit of CGI in this moment where you're just seeing this creature taken apart and it's jaw opened up and it's insides, you know, come out. It's, I, I just love that scene so much. Like I can't describe why it worked. That particular part worked for me. There are just a lot of moments visually where as a fan of movies, I just love what that I feel like I'm transported into like, a different environment in a, in a unique way, like how he uses all the floodlights, you know, the scene in the, the, the sewer where all the UV lights are, you know, it's like an avalanche of, of light at one point.
0: Yeah. It's definitely better directed than it is written. And when I said Mm. that, I feel like the cultures move beyond movies like this in some way. I feel like now that Superhero movies are basically the only thing propelling the box office forward. Don't get me wrong, there's still like bad super movies, bad superhero movies out there. Oh boy, are there? But I feel like the very inconsistent like quality of the acting would just not be tolerated in like 2022. Cuz there are at least like if you take the entire trilogy, there are probably like half a dozen performances in these (laughs) movies that are like not that like you would stare a scan setting like a tv movie and i feel like that just wouldn't be tolerated now whereas in the 90s and early 2000s there was this kind of like soft bigotry of low expectations (laughs) that of course a movie like this wouldn't have good acting because that's what these type of movies are
1: Mm. and oh uh, you know it's an interesting thing by the way um because we're talking about like things that were in the past are not tolerated anymore like i think actually some of the the, the creature work in this movie later got used in the strain
0: oh i should watch that i didn't like the first book i will say the one way that um the superhero movies have devolved if you would definitely have a less practical work now than you would have yeah. in blade two well
1: well that's that that I think is the trade off like watching watching a movie like Blade Two, yeah, the performances are a little hit or miss, you know in this one, I think the the performance who's closest maybe in tone to Stephen Dorf is Norman Reedus. <laughs> Oh (laughs) yeah, he's good. I mean, he's having fun. Uh, you know, he he's a character who uh is kind of like the new kind of sidekick for Blade and Whistler, um, until a certain point in the movie. But I won't get into that. The the thing, yeah. So you have some of the performances are hit or miss, but on the other hand, though, since we're talking about you know modern superhero movies. One problem that we've kind of seen with a number of them is, you know, a kind of visual consistency to a fault where directors are basically hired basically to direct traffic. They're not there to really bring any kind of unique vision. Um, You know, maybe they can keep some of the performances consistent, but you don't feel like, oh, hey, this is an artist who really is trying to bring something maybe even personal to the table like that's you know we talked about that a little bit with Sam Raimi with you know that was almost like the exception with Multiverse of Madness and that's why I think yeah like a movie like this yeah Del Toro would have had to up his game with directing performances but I also wonder if he would have been able to get away with a lot of the weirder shit that's in the movie.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. We would have been force-fed a lot more totally boring, ugly, I CGI mean, slop well, that's actually produced in sweatshop condition. Well, well, well,
1: do you know? Well, well, this year, you know, I mean, there was a Marvel vampire movie that came out.
0: I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> it was more than time for you, but... <laughs>
1: yes, I did... Go out to see Morbius. God, I see some bad movies. I, I Who's a
0: real trash pan in this relationship? I
1: know. I saw Morbius. I saw Black Adam. Black Adam, like, we didn't even review for the podcast. Well,
0: because you only saw it by yourself. I didn't see it. Andrew didn't see it. Death Star Matt didn't see it. No, Matt didn't see it. Oh, I forgot. Sorry, Matt.
1: Yeah, sorry, Matt. You you <laughs> sacrificed for your blog. Matt, the Catania. Roy How Chris did I forget you. that?
0: I read his blog about the movie. How did I forget that? <laughs>
1: because the movie already forgot about you. <laughs> but anyway, all right. So with Blade 2, again, there's not a ton of plot that you need to understand. Again, it's basically Blade, you know, it's a movie where you're, you know, wait, we're, I'm fighting for the villain side. I don't know how this is going to go wrong. You know, one of those kind of things where the vampire nation asked blade for help, you know, Oh, this can't go wrong at all. And again, in, in the crew, yeah, you have a mix of kind of good and bad acting. You know, again, you have like Ron Perlman's there. I think was Thomas Kreichman in the group.
0: I don't know who that People?
1: is. Oh, and Donnie Yen.
0: Oh yeah. Donnie was... Yen
1: was kind of fun.
0: I agree. I that was kind of surprising to me because I think the only other movie I've seen him in was Rogue One, which was, which that was a pretty bad movie from like a fun character's perspective, too. That's why I don't care how many people squawk about it on Twitter. I'm not watching Andor. <laughs> Get out of here.
1: Uh, hey, what? <laughs> Well, I would think that you should have a little bit of like a tinge of affection for Rogue One if you're gonna sit down to watch a whole series based on like one character. I don't know if I'll check it out, but that's a whole other different episode. Um, <laughs> I again, I, I keep coming back to the same thing. I think I just enjoyed certain things different about this movie that, and I get why you didn't like it so much. I think maybe you wanted like a little bit more in the character department. And this, you know, this, this has the kind of thing where, you know, character work is like, you know, daughter of like villain is, you know, that's like the one dynamic in the movie. It's a little boring. Yeah. Wasn't that like the thing in it?
0: Yeah. The movie's got style and some good vibes and like not much else.
1: And But here's the, you know what I'd say though? As far as a style over substance type of affair, the style worked for me. This is so, it was such a, I would have loved to have seen this again in a theater actually with a crowd. Cause I think that would have been a lot of fun. And even though by this point in 2002, You know, there were more visual effects in this than the first one. I think the balance was still there at that time. Like the same thing with Raimi in Spider-Man, you know, his first Spider-Man movie, where the split wasn't like lopsided completely with CGI. You could still have a lot of practical effects, you know, makeup effects, things that really put you into that space you're looking at. And then the visual effects are, you know, flourishes.
0: And like the first movie, Wesley Snipes in this movie delivers a totally one-note performance. And sometimes that's a good note. Like, sometimes you're watching it and you're you're like, okay, I'm into it. But because it is such a one-note performance, it doesn't work. Over It doesn't always work over the course of two hours.
1: Well, yeah, it's also because ultimately he's because of how he's playing it in all of these movies, you never feel like he's going to get into that much danger. Yeah. Like even in the first movie, when he's basically bound up and bleeding for the villains, literally, you know, to enact their big plan, you know, you know, at some point he'll get out of it. um, Because of how he's playing the part, like even in, You know, um, even in some of the other recent Marvel movies, you know, even though you can kind of guess that Tony Stark will somehow MacGyver his way out of a situation, Robert Downey Jr. brings a certain vulnerability.
0: That, yeah, it kind of bothers me that the characters never allowed to display any Uh, vulnerability. Now, that's
1: not totally true. He loves his mother.
0: (laughs) It reminds me, now... Granted, I've only—I've never seen a Fast and the Furious movie. I've never seen any of them, so I'm only going on what I've read. But I've read multiple articles about how both Vin Diesel and The Rock are so like prissy about their image they literally like never let they never let their characters show any weakness physically like yeah. you could never watch Vin Diesel get like beat up in a movie you could never watch The Rock get beat up in a movie now well, I well definitely not The Rock well, that's I, not his contract well I also <laughs> understand in fairness The Rock is so like big and muscular like who on the planet earth could beat him up I get it but when I I when I read that I was like how pathetic and insecure are these actors that they won't even let their physical counterparts show the tiniest bit of weakness when obviously they're never going to be humbled in any real way.
1: Yeah. 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 And, and to an extent, I think, you know, there could be a defense with blade that, you know, his character, you know, he, he was, you know, again, he, he was an orphan. (laughs) That's a whole other conversation. We've had a running joke offline about orphans. orphans. You know, they're in they're in everything that we're watching lately, or yeah, that Corey's right. watching because K dramas. But like, you know, it, his character, you know, is some you know someone who was raised by a hard nosed you know badass. He was, or actually, he was homeless on the street, and that's when Whistler found him. So you know, he had a rough upbringing in life. So it's hard, you know, it'd be hard for him to maybe open up emotionally, but that could also be like a through line so that we could grow to like him more, either in the first or second movie, and that never really happens.
0: Well, Snipes isn't...
1: Or or Snipes doesn't have the range.
0: I was going to say, he's not willing or able to play any subtext to that, because I'm sure you've seen movies where the characters are kind of reserved But you can still tell that still waters run deep. You can do like subtle facial acting. But again, Blade, the character, doesn't have facial expressions at all. Yeah. He's even wearing sunglasses a lot of the time. So. Yeah. He's he's like a statue. He's like an action figure. He's not like a person. He's like a series of poses, and sometimes the poses are cool and fun. Mm-hmm. But
1: or well, well, to give a you know more recent example, um, you know in the first Black Panther movie, technically you know T'Challa is like kind of a reserved guy, but you know what Chadwick Boseman did so well with that character was actually make him you know feel like a real human being. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you can still have a character with a wide range of emotion, even if they're never, you know, corrupted or... But again, yeah. in Black Panther, T'Challa gets humbled in a way that, like, Blade never can.
1: No, yeah, he... Yeah, and, and especially... you. I mean, and you would think, after what happens to him in the first movie, he would be a little bit more humbled, but... No, he's still kind of like a, a a a stone cold hard badass. Who, again, he does get a few lines here or there. I mean, in yeah, the second in the second movie, there's a part where he actually just yells, "You do not know who you're fucking with," yeah, and like, <laughs> I, I I quite like that. I feel
0: like it's almost de rigueur for in every superhero movie for the hero to have that moment where like he's really down and out. But Blade never has that. Like, I feel like everyone has that. Like, Iron Man has that. Captain America has that. Thor has that. But, again, Snipes' performance is so limited. And the script for Blade is so limited that you never have that moment of, like, being shaken.
1: No. And, again, I think maybe Del Toro tried a little more. But again, you can only try so much when an actor is, you know, not willing to do the work with you, and that must have been a challenge for him. Like he's already, but the thing that's interesting too, before we wrap things up, I think on Blade Two, this was, um, this was kind of part of Del Toro's comeback, I think, in a sense, because in the '90s he broke, you know, his first movie was Kronos. you know, that was kind of like his first, you know, real, you know, real movie. I've never
0: seen that. Have you seen that?
1: Yeah, it's it's a really interesting little movie. I mean, it's, uh, it's I'm trying to remember what it's about. It's like this uh, like golden orb that makes people like go crazy. I think. Well,
0: I assume if it's called Chronos, it's probably about time, like time yeah, travel. Or yeah, yeah. No,
1: not time travel. It's there is a time travel element to it. Well, it's C R O N O S, not C H oh, R. Okay. All right. Then he does mimic which had its own kind of tortured, you know, production history. Thanks Bob Weinstein. And then his career though, got kind of a lift because Pedro Almodovar hired him to do uh, the devil's backbone Um, span, you know, I I forget if that was in Spain or Mexico, it's probably Spain. And then he gets this gig and I think he knew like, okay, this is my shot. Like, I'm now actually in Hollywood again, but I'm not, you know, working with, you know, dimension films. I can actually maybe have some room here. And I think, you know, between this movie and Hellboy, that was what, you know, made him a name, basically. And then, you know, Pan's Labyrinth was a whole other thing.
0: Hellboy was a nice step forward in the genre, I think. Hellboy's definitely better than Blade Two to me. Yeah,
1: but you could say that, like, he needed, you know an experience like Blade Two got hit then he could step on that to get to Hellboy.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So again, I would probably recommend this movie a bit more than you do. I get your I get your criticisms on it. I just I, I just had a blast watching all of the uh the, the the gore and uh the vi- you know the violence I mean, it's good it is you got to admit that the gore is is lit
0: yeah we know i am a gore hound give me the blood lord give me the blood and it's, it's good gore yeah for sure
1: now we've been kind of putting it off cuz well we just watched this before we started recording blade trinity i <laughs> have to ask you a couple of questions What can you tell me about vampires? They exist. Blade. First, he faced their gods. Then, he battled their demons. But all that was only the beginning. To be honest i mean i was avoiding watching this movie forever i've actually had this movie on dvd for years i i think i got it like goodwill or something like that because i thought like well maybe someday i'll finally check this out and i was kind of putting it off and putting it off because um yeah like the third blade movie blade trinity it it sucks it's very bad <laughs> It's very bad. Yeah, and a lot of that badness is, like, some of it's a little fun bad, but a lot, but some of it is very much not. I mean, th- this is, uh, and talk about, like, a troubled production history. Like, what were some of the things that we were reading about before we started recording?
0: Okay, so apparently David Goyer for the third movie was promoted from writer to director. Wesley Snipes was staunchly opposed to this. And apparently, he had some kind of producer credit on the film as well, and so Wesley Snipes voiced his displeasure by being an absolute nightmare on oh, the yeah. set.
1: well, from what I read, like Ryan Reynolds has been quoted as saying he never, inter- really, he never interacted with Wesley Snipes on set. He only interacted with Blade. Like he, <laughs> he no, Wesley, no, I'm sorry, Wesley Snipes. By that point, he. Would not talk to you on set if you call if he if you tried to you know say hey Wesley hey I got question Wesley no you had to talk to him as Blade he was that kind of raging actor asshole
0: Patton Oswalt said that he spent most of his time in this trailer smoking pot
1: oh I didn't see the part about the pot but yeah, yeah but but he but Patton Oswalt also said you'd only respond to Blade. Oh, and also, he commun- if he communicated with anyone, it would be by post-it notes.
0: Yeah, so the other thing, too, is Blade himself is kind of a less prominent character in Blade Trinity than the other movies. I feel like he has, yeah, like, less screen time.
1: a bit. Well, no, I mean, he's there, but you're right. Like, he's...
0: Well, the reason why he's there less is Wesley Snipes was so bothered by the fact that David Gore was the director... That he refused to be shot, to report to set. So they relied heavily on Wesley Snipes' stand-in. And Wesley Snipes would only deign to leave his trailer for close-ups. So that's why it feels like Blade has a lot less dialogue in this movie. Yeah, he
1: does. He only has like a certain number of lines.
0: Because obviously Wesley Snipes' stand-in is there to stand, not to talk. So um, Yeah so I think And David Goyer himself So we have David Goyer Pat Oswalt and Ryan Reynolds Who've all talked extensively about like What a super nightmare Snipes was And Goyer said making this movie Was quote the worst experience Of his life personally and professionally
1: Oh, oh here's a little more trivia for you Colin Farrell Was offered the role of Hannibal King And turned it down <laughs>
0: Had to make Daredevil instead. Isn't that like around the same time? No,
1: Daredevil was before that. Oh, I gosh. think though, he probably knew like, I I, I can't keep doing these. <laughs> yeah. So
0: I feel like this movie, when your lead actor, oh, by the way, I love Wesley Snipe pulling that like, I'm a method actor. You must call me blade. When he's delivering such a mailed in performance. You know what I mean? Like, at least the Jeremy Strongs of the world are actually, like, (laughs) delivering great performances.
1: Yeah, yeah, like, you could put up with Jeremy Strong because, yeah, you know he's going to deliver the goods, but, like, what's Wesley Snipes doing? Showing up and, like, you know, kind of half-heartedly delivering his lines. Except, once again, there's one scene in this movie... Mm -hmm. Where I think it's like when he's introduced to Patton Oswalt, and he, his line delivery in that scene, I think he woke up a little bit.
0: Yeah, when I read that a lot of the movie is just Wesley Snipes just standing, I wondered <laughs> the movie is so bad that they should have gone even farther and literally just had like a cardboard cutout.
1: They sh- no, you know what they should have done like Bruce Lee, in Game of Death. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for those who don't know, just google image search bruce lee game of death right now and there's one of the most it is absolutely insane like criterion put out like all the bruce lee movies to see the scene where they put like a cardboard cutout literally of bruce lee's face on another actor for a scene in a criterion movie I just died. Of
0: course, Wesley Snipes later sued the production company yes. because they said he said he wasn't paid all he was owed for the movie, and he sued because they cut his screen time in favor of Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel. I don't know. Maybe Wesley, it's because you refused to leave your trailer. <laughs> you only communicated via post-it note.
1: <laughs> yeah, and this movie I think had a slightly bigger budget than the other movies. They had a budget of like sixty-five million dollars. And, and ultimately, like, yeah, the thing is, though, even with, okay, so David Goyer says, you know, Wesley Snipes gave him some problems. That doesn't excuse, though, what a lazy, you know, hack work piece of shit script this is. Oh, by the way. This what? is like the kind of movie where to convey, like, you know, a, a person's pain after a rough moment, like Jessica Beale. Has a bad, you know, fight scene, and afterwards she goes into like a shower and crawls up in a ball, and you know, lot, you know, shots lingering on her body. It's like, dude, no.
0: But she has a sharp knife in her heart, and if you pull it out, she'll die. <sighs> oh my god. Now that being said, I do not want this to be seen as condoning Wesley Snipes' horrendous behavior on the set, but he was correct about what a piece of crap this movie was. <laughs> that like david Goyer probably shouldn't have been handed the reins to this extent
1: no no absolutely not i mean the thing is he's just he's laying on so many cliches so thickly and i don't know if he the thing that's troubling about the movie is you almost don't know sometimes whether he's aware of the cliches you know maybe he is but even if so that's just it still sucks like there are times where he's just going all in on things that you've seen, you know, dozens and dozens of times in action movies. Um, you know, you have like the scene where Ryan Reynolds, uh, you know, has been you know captured by the bad guys and is getting beaten. Oh, what's he going to do? He's going to just keep, he's going to keep talking shit to the. Oh the my guns. God. The
0: banter in this movie the, is awful. It feels
1: like it was written by. I won't want to say a thirteen-year-old because that might insult creative thirteen-year-olds <laughs> out there. This is written by like your shit-posting friend in, you know, eighth grade. It's it's not clever at all. It's edge. It's like you have to be edgy by bringing up uh, what was the one line he used? Do you remember this? Like oh, it was something about cock something. It was con- like
0: cock jump. It, it, I oh, think
1: it was- cock juggling cunt smuggler or something. No, it was-
0: Cock juggling thunder cunt,
1: yeah, but it's it, god, it,
0: <laughs> it thinks it's edgy, but it's actually like not edgy, like it's profane, but it's actually not do like you, subversive god. or transgressive. Do, do
1: you think that oh, now it just occurred to me this is probably a long shot, but do you think that Joss Whedon wrote the mewling quim line <laughs> as a shot at like David Goyer? Like, you can. I can actually do something even worse than you, and it'll be a (laughs) PG-13.
0: Well, I was going to say, this movie has, you're right, a very juvenile understanding of what, like, edgy is.
1: Yeah. Because
0: edgy is not just profanity. Like, everyone pretty much everyone over the age of like 10 can swear in social situations yeah. if they want to but
1: then like but then in the moments where it ha- where it should be sincere it also is just awful like there's there's this little girl character do you even know who she was was she like a daughter to someone she was
0: natasha leone's daughter
1: oh oh right okay yeah natasha leone pops up in this by the way she's like Part of the the group with Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel and Patton Oswalt, as we said, is in the movie. He's like the weapons guy. Um, he has but two yeah, lines. yeah. And there's a scene. There's a little scene where like blades up on a roof, and he's you know, he's had a moment, and the little girl comes up on the roof, and she asks him, "Why can't you just be nice?" And that almost sounds like that almost sounds like the start of like kind of a clever exchange yeah. could happen but then he takes a beat and says because the world isn't nice. And I felt like I died inside. <laughs> I felt like the world just got a lot less nice by you saying that <laughs> line.
0: Yeah, basically some there were a few moments where I found David Goyer's extreme hackery to be kind of funny. Yeah. Like there were shots in this movie that were funny. Intentionally or unintentionally, do you think?
1: I. It's hard to tell. I, honestly, I. My sensibility through watching now all three of these movies, I think he just. That's his aesthetic. He likes some. He likes edgy stuff or stuff that seems. I don't want to say edge lord because that's I think a little too mean. But it's almost a little bit like that. Do you yeah. know what I mean?
0: Blade Trinity definitely has an edgelord component to it, particularly in the Ryan Reynolds character. And it's funny, you can see... I don't think Ryan Reynolds is an actor that has shown like tremendous range over the course of his career. So you can see kind of the core of the current bankable Ryan Reynolds Deadpool persona in his performance in Blade Trinity, but it's miscalibrated. He's like too far in like the douchebag red zone.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Way too douchebaggy. Um, I mean, I, th- I felt like he, of all, oddly enough though, he was probably one of my, one of the better performers in the movie for me. Even by default. Yeah. By default. I mean, we haven't talked about her that much, but Jessica Biel we were both kind of agog watching her in this movie, and we're just like, this is just unacceptable.
0: embarrassing. like
1: I'm and she doesn't have even a ton of lines, but what she has to deliver, like it's it's this is deathly because you have an actor who, if she can do anything on camera, it's only because a director, Who's experienced really knows maybe how to get something out of her. And even then, that's so rare. And David Goyer, he's a first time filmmaker.
0: It's, I'm not exaggerating when I say, like, when I would, way back in the day, when, like, you know, like most schools, like my high school performed plays every year. I'm not, this, I'm serious when I say this, that, like, the kids in my high school plays, did like better line readings and i didn't go to school with anyone who became an actor.
1: Yeah. And like her character she's supposed to play um she's like Whistler's uh, daughter. Well, not the daughters that he described in the first movie. They had to explain that in the line because David Goyer forgot his own fucking script. She's out of wedlock. Yeah. I cuz like cuz i was asking myself that and i'm sure like i bet David Goyer originally didn't have that wedlock line. He just wanted to have like, well, we got to have someone that's connected with the, per- all right. So Whistler's daughter? I told him to remind him, Oh wait, but you wrote a line where he gives his back. He, you know, he explains his backstory. And his wife and daughters were killed by vampires.
0: I love, too, in the movie, she has a flashback to Whistler saying this in the first movie, even though she wasn't there when he said this in the first movie. And I want to be clear, this is filmed as her flashback. Like, Yeah, like
1: because she's on screen and they have her kind of walking in slow-mo. And like I maybe David Goyer would say like, well, we gotta remind the audience but about they did her in the
0: dialogue. Like I actually agree, you probably need some kind of reminder because it was six years since the first movie, and maybe people didn't rewatch it. But they had a reminder. They had like the dialogue.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. My God, like it, and like yeah, some of her her delivery is just abysmal. I mean, it's just it it. it she doesn't have the gravitas for this kind of part. She doesn't have, and again, it's not like the writing is doing her any favors. It's a bad combination of, you know, director who is just trying to get through the day, you know, keep the schedule moving because he has a temperamental dickhead star. You know, his script has a lot of problems that he hasn't worked out or he doesn't think are problems because, you know, who is he have, looking over his shoulder. He doesn't have, like, anyone scrutinizing the script like he did in the first two movies. And, yeah, an actress who's just, you know, put her on seventh heaven, that's fine. But that's, you know, the dog acts <laughs> fine on seventh heaven. I
0: am going to out myself on the podcast as someone who watched several <laughs> seasons of <laughs> seventh heaven back in the day. It's
1: it's okay, I, I forgive I you. probably
0: watched... <laughs> Six or seven seasons of Seventh Heaven. That's probably like hundred and twenty episodes of Seventh Heaven, and
1: I've seen a few scenes over your shoulder.
0: It's a it's an awful show, but <laughs> even on Seventh Heaven, her acting was like much better.
1: Well, because well, it, well, she was also you know playing like a pastor's daughter or whatever it was. She was the daughter. that's fine she can she can do that okay you know in a tv scenario but in this she's supposed to be like electra she's like discount (laughs) electra and it's it's not working well
0: actually she like breaks bad on the seventh heaven tv show and there's kind of like a meta element because jessica beale did some like Quasi-provocative photo shoots And do you remember those like
1: Oh uh, yeah yeah Do you I remember think those men's
0: magazines that used to exist They were like Maxim, Maxim And there was another one details. too Something like that but she did and those weren't, like, Playboy or anything, so they were, like, very softly provocative.
1: But if you were, you know, Amish, it's basically, like, Gang Hustler. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: because she was on this squeaky clean show, it was, like, a huge scandal. And the kind of creators of the show kind of punished the actress by writing her oh, really? in, like, a break... They basically tried to write this extended Breaking Bad plot for her, but because they were such squares... Her breaking bad was kind of, like, pathetic. Like,
1: she had, like, a cigarette.
0: <laughs> yes. And she, like, dropped out of college to become a flight attendant.
1: <laughs> How is that breaking bad? She still has a job. What? Oh, my God. Wow. the I, the, my only exposure to this show, I know we're going on a little tangent, like but when we watch those uh, very special episode videos.
0: On Funnier Die.
1: Yeah, the Seventh Heaven, Funnier. If you go on YouTube, just check out, t- type in very special episode, Seventh Heaven. And this guy um, on Funnier Die does these recaps where he basically describes a whole episode of a TV show in like six or seven minutes. And. Some of the things that happened in these episodes, it was like the one about marijuana. Oh my god. Oh, and, and then there was like the one who uh was it spray painting or sniffing glue?
0: It was yeah, it was like huffing like fumes from spray paint. It's so funny.
1: It it was like I forgot just how much that show could be like Christian versions of what I saw in the Dare program yeah. as a kid.
0: The young people don't know what it was like when there's just a lot less television to watch. To yeah. like to... Now, um. Oh, also, anyway. by the way, I don't know what Parker Posey was doing oh, in this movie. Parker
1: Posey! Like now, here's the you know what though. Compared to Jessica Biel, yeah. Yeah. at least she was making like a choice. Yeah, they were kind of deranged. Like she was doing a lot of her dialogue. In this whispering voice, <laughs> and at least though she was, I think she was trying. It's funny though how there are a number of comic actors or people again that you normally associate with comedies in this movie because you have Parker Posey, Patton Oswalt, John Michael Higgins shows up as. Um, uh, what we didn't even talk about this in these movies. You have uh, what was it the, not the Guardian like the. He he's like the humans who serve the vampires. The familiars. The familiars. Yeah. You have these familiars. He's a familiar in it who's posing as like a vampire expert. Oh, another interesting little weird crossover. Um, Eric Bogosian is in like the opening of the movie, <laughs> yeah. which is funny seeing him now after uh, the first season of Every The Vampire. Um, but then you also have yeah, so he's in it. Um, I liked
0: John Michael Higgins in the movie. I did.
1: I liked him. Too. They killed
0: him off too fast in a favor of Drake
1: and Triple H. Oh, uh, let's <laughs> talk
0: about how the villain of this movie is basically like Dracula. He's like the first vampire, and Dracula is based off him, but his name is Drake.
1: Love the Drake. <laughs> love the
0: Drake. I hate the Drake. And this one kind of hurt me because the actor playing him was Dominic Purcell who was a main cast member on Legends of Tomorrow. Was he Now, he was Mick Rory. Okay. So do you you watched the first few episodes. So do you remember like Heatwave and Captain Cold? Yes. He was Heatwave.
1: Oh. Okay. So
0: like I have a fondness for him as an actor. He was in a, yeah, he was
1: in most of the show, wasn't he? Yeah.
0: So I have a fondness for him given how much he killed it on And
1: he, and he popped up I guess in the crossover events too.
0: Yeah, so he's really good in Legends of Tomorrow, um, but Yeah. Basically this movie is pretty horrendously acted, almost like across the board.
1: Oh god, he Oh, you know what's interesting? He's the lead in like a number of Uwe Boll movies. Well, I guess you know the money screen. <laughs> oh, I thought he looked familiar. You know who? What show he was on? He was uh on uh, Prison Break.
0: I never watched Prison Break. Did you watch Prison
1: Break? No, but you know, but like when we watched House, there were commercials for Prison Break.
0: And that's funny because Wentworth Miller's the lead in Prison Break and he's like McRory's oh. buddy on Legends of Tomorrow.
1: Oh, or oh, oh, maybe I was, I don't know if I'm getting them confused. They look kind of like the same.
0: Wentworth Miller and <laughs> Dominic Purcell? <laughs> a little
1: bit. Eh. Eh, maybe. Dominic
0: Purcell is a bit more like, I don't know, like weathered.
1: Yeah. Wentworth
0: probably. Miller, I don't know if he is younger, but he looks younger.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, but the point is, though, yeah, this Drake character is such like a lump of a villain. And the thing is, like, as we talked about with, uh, you know, Stephen Dorff and, um, you know, you need you need that, like, flashy villain to contrast with Blade because he needs something to contrast with because otherwise you have like two blocks of granite. Yeah
0: so i yeah i'm a big believer of these movies need flamboyant villains because the protagonist is so stoic but he the drake character fails in every way like a vampire can fail because a vampire you know ideally they're kind of like scary and threatening and menacing but failing that you could also maybe go for like the sexy charisma angle you know
1: like <laughs> yeah yeah you can have make it make a sexy dracula it's not the first time
0: and as you mentioned earlier we just watched the interview vampire tv show where both louie and lestat are just like oozing like sexuality and honestly like they're not always like intimidating but they always have that kind of allure
1: whereas yeah whereas dominic purcell and i don't think it's all his fault because again as you've mentioned he's good on in other projects but his but the way that they wrote him it's he he's just so boring because there's nothing really that intimidating about him ironically be- that he's a vampire who's been around for thousands of years yeah. as we learn in one of the most horrendous <laughs> montages i've ever seen <laughs> where ryan reynolds is explaining it and you're seeing like bad blood visual effects to sh- like to showcase like his transformations and uh,
0: now we got bad blood Used to be mad of. Pope. Pope. <laughs>
1: get out of here.
0: I'm not even a Swifty. I'm such a poser.
1: Yeah, that's not even a good. Uh and also, too, aside from all this, you know, I was mentioning, you know, one of the treats about the first two movies, if nothing else, if you just want to watch some fun action, you get that. The third movie, the action is very generic. Awful. It's very, it's either awful, it's cut way too fast. You know, I think David Goyer maybe thought on set. Well, you know, if I shoot a lot of stuff, then I can figure it out later, you know, because, again, he wanted to try and make his days and do all that, as opposed to finding new ways to bring us into the, the environments. And so instead, it's just, you know, a lot of characters leaping through glass, you know, a lot of characters flying through things, uh, <clears throat> just very visually and you know dated stuff stuff that was already dated in 2004 um and yeah i actually looked up the release date on this it's interesting this movie came out in december of 2004 wow that is an odd time to release this movie maybe in this maybe they <clears throat> were kind of dumping it because they knew maybe it wouldn't do very well
0: actually the- they didn't gross that much less than the other movies. No,
1: technically it I, don't, I wouldn't say that it it was a huge hit, but it broke even. Worldwide, I think it made 130 million. Yeah, and the
0: first two movies made like 150 worldwide.
1: Yeah, so they all made consider but I think maybe the difference was the third one cost a little more than the other two.
0: Well I also think that after Snipes's behavior on the set of the third movie you can't make another movie under those conditions. No.
1: You just No, can't. it no, don't put yeah, don't put up with that crap. And plus, too, ultimately, what else are you going to do with that character? Yeah. You, you know, you've kind of run its you've kind of ran that course, you know, by this point. Like the what they should have what would have been interesting, which I guess this is what Marvel's doing now. Like we didn't mention this yet that they're they're trying in probable vein to Reboot the character to bring into the MCU. Yes, um, that spot actually had a little bit of a tortured production history going on. I say history, present tense, <laughs> because um Mahershala Ali is now Blade. Uh, but it was like they had gotten a director, but then the director left, and that and I believe I read this was some month, a few months ago they had to reshuffle a lot of things in the next uh, phases yeah because and but to me I'm like why do you need a character like blade though in the MCU um yeah or you know or what you do is you know what don't even have him in your disney marvel stable give him back to sony <laughs> so maybe you could have like <laughs> A fun Morbin time blade movie. It's
0: blade in time.
1: <laughs> it's blade in time, exactly. Well, uh, um <laughs> or just don't do anything with the character. You can have Marvel characters that you leave alone. And
0: well, I hope if and when this blade movie happens, <clears throat> I really hope that they reconceptualize the character to actually have some range. Cause if you're casting <sighs> A freaking, like, double Oscar winner? Well,
1: well, that's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. You gotta bring it. I think they know that. I think if you're hiring that actor... I'm sure he's obviously bulking up and, you know, getting in shape for the part. But you're hiring him also because, uh, you know, of his chops. In fact, he was actually on uh, Luke Cage in the first season anyway. So he already knows, you know, kind of his territory. I I, I bet he'll do something different than that show because that he was actually the, the villain. Um but anyway. Um so these movies, interesting relics. Um yeah. I I don't even remember exactly what the impetus was to revisit them. I just thought it'd be kind of fun.
0: Yeah, and I I feel like my comments have been very negative, but I do <clears throat> I do mildly <throat> like the first two movies. It's that they're not raves. I wouldn't say like you have to go out and watch them, but they're fine to throw on
1: if you're if you need a little bit of that extra vampire itch, if you're you know curious about you know where Marvel was at a certain point in time before they even figured out exactly what they were doing as Marvel. In matter of fact, I believe 98 Blade that came out in the time period just after or right around the time Marvel went bankrupt okay so that's another interesting thought that like this was their first little step up out of that um
0: yeah the first two movies they have their moments they have some good supporting characters they have some visual flair the action is pretty good it's just for me there's there's kind of like a low ceiling for these types of movies. Yeah, because yeah. they're built around such a limited character.
1: Yeah, they're built around a limited character, and also just the subject matter is dealing with you know, you know, vampire factions, and you know, mythology around you know who's a daywalker and the rules about this or that. What you know, creatures that feed on you know vampires that feed, feed on vampires. You know. Again, if that's your thing, go for it. And like I said, yeah, I, I would recommend the first two movies. Only throw on the third movie if you want to make someone mad. Yeah, the third one really sucks. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's that. And I'm I'm glad we watched these though. Yeah, I think we had some fun at time, especially on the third one, riffing. On a lot of points, I was laughing a lot during the third movie. I think that movie is like such a disaster, and it runs it runs out of steam because it's way too long. Um, all these movies are a little too long, but that third one, oh my god!
0: So maybe watch the third movie only if it can be watched with you.
1: <clears> huh <throat> well, also with you. <laughs> yeah. All right. So if any of you guys have seen these movies. Uh, let us know uh, Wages of gmail.com uh, you can visit us on Facebook and Instagram um, uh, who, I don't know what the other website is now <laughs> Twitter um, and uh, when we come back next time we'll
0: talk about something at some point
1: yeah something at some point don't We're... make
0: specific promises no we'll no
1: them. we won't make a specific promise you know, but obviously we will talk about movies. At some point. <laughs> At some point. Whether they'll be older movies or newer movies, uh, you know, you'll have to find out for yourselves. Uh, you know, but we got an episode out in good time, I think. <laughs> All right.
0: So let's wrap this up.
1: All right. Until next time, Jack.
0: I am Trash Panda Corey.
1: And the wage of cinema is... Hugs. A motherfucker is ice skating uphill. mm <laughs> Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate up Bill.